Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 30th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, uh, well, a little, little early for evening today. I'll talk about that first. Um, if, if, you, if, we, if this show drops in your feed a little early, that is by design. Um, I don't think anybody was going to listen to us live over the Super Bowl or a lot of folks, and so we wanted to watch it as well, so we always go a little early, but one thing that really worked out great for us, in about 10 minutes, we're going to get one of the most exciting guests we've ever had on the Kudzu Vine. If you've heard us prepare for shows and reference articles, you've probably heard us mention the site Political Wire and the writer of that site, Tegan Goddard. Tegan's going to join us um, at about 10 minutes into the show and discuss a lot of political things, and, and um, you know, he is covering uh, everything, if you will. Um, but until then, Tim and I are going to discuss uh, some other issues of the day, and right off the bat, of course, it's our home state, so we like to talk about Georgia politics, but I think even people all across the other 49 would have to say Georgia is a pretty interesting state with an open-seat jungle primary that got a lot more interesting this week. Um, First, one we expected, Doug Collins, very conservative, very vocal um, antagonist to uh, folks on the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, Doug Collins, he's jumped in uh, to the jungle primary. And then um, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, Ralph Warnock, is going to get in on the Democratic side. But let's talk about this Republican side first. And right now, it is still a jungle primary, although – after a bill that I guess you're and I, state representative Eddie Lumpston proposed, there may be um, no longer a jungle primary because they're trying to push that through in time for this election. So, Tim, give me your take. Well, uh, first, you know, from first glance, you figure Collins is going to beat her like a drum, or at least that's what the early polling is showing when he's 30 and 40 points ahead of her. I, I don't see how we can mistake that for anything but the fact that, that he he is uh, either a lot better known than she is or far more highly thought of. Then there's the Trump factor. What's Trump going to do about this? We know that on three separate occasions, the president suggested to the governor that he appoint Collins. Uh, and we know how Trump's suggestions go, and 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 did not seem to be too happy when um, the governor even took uh, Senator Loeffler to 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 meet the president. 
you know, we talked about that on the show, how he was dismissive of her. So you're going to figure that at some point Trump is going to weigh in on this thing. And if he does, he's going to weigh in on the side of, uh, you know, Collins. Now, what about the bill in the Georgia legislature? Well, the thing there is the governor has threatened to veto the bill. Will they pass it over his veto? We're going to have to watch that. We're going to have a lot of a lot of high drama, and we have a unique partnership pushing the passage of this bill. Some of the most conservative Republicans in the legislature, along with a great many of the Democrats, have have apparently joined forces to push this thing. Um. I think if this bill passes and it becomes a straight primary, um, I, I think it helps both Collins and probably the Democrats <laughs> as well. Uh, Collins, uh, you know, that that basically would set up a one-on-one with her, uh, which he, he surely would dispatch of her. Uh, because in a, let's face it, 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 in a de facto fight between Trump and the governor of this state, well, Trump's going to win. That that's just all there is to it, and we know who Trump's candidate is here. Um, I, I kind of like the, seeing the Democrats in a jungle primary better. I understand some people don't like the runoff scenario that we've just performed miserably in. But what if we could coalesce around one Democrat and uh, there's four or five Republicans in the race and they kind of split the vote up? David, could we possibly slip through in a jungle primary and pull an upset and win the thing outright? Well, you'd have to get 50, and I don't know that you get 50 either way. Um, I think the Mm -hmm. only recipe uh, for victory – I want to harken back to an election where Mary Landry won re-election in a Mm -hmm. December race. And, you know, Louisiana is a more Republican state seemingly, although they have a Democratic governor right now, so that's debatable. Um, But, you know, it was one of those where I believe George W. Bush won re-election. And then uh-huh. there was kind of the, the backlash. So you'd have to have a situation where it would have to be most likely Collins or Loeffler goes so far to the right that she becomes uh, you know, just as toxic to Democrats and motivates folks out. And then they have to show up. But you know, John Barrow's runoff election where he, um, you know, he had run the highest of anybody on the 2018 uh, statewide Georgia ballot. Actually, ran a few points ahead of Stacey Abrams. I will say this: I think her turnout machine gave him a whole lot of votes. I'm not trying to give him the credit. Right. I'm just saying he did that well. Then, when it came to the um, runoff, she and her turnout machine were no longer on the ballot, and it fell right back off. So I, the runoff mm-hmm. situation is not good for Democrats, no matter what. Jungle primary, you go in a January election, which is nuts. Or you you have the uh, primary on the original election day, and you still have the runoff, um, mm-hmm. unless the bill is a little different. So oh. I, I think that's still a bad situation. Democrats are going to have to continue to build. Um, but as far as this 
I'm going to kind of give you the hot take here. I think Kelly Loeffler's best shot at re-election would to be completely turned on Brian Kemp, and she better do it soon because she keeps talking all this right-wing stuff. There's no chance. She needs to go. You know the lady that y'all don't like that posed with Stacey Abrams, that owned a WNBA team, that gave money to Planned Parenthood, that um, supported LBGT communities. And, you know, I'm in the yeah. tech world, and we know they're real progressive. I just thought well, that was my only chance in Georgia. But as I started to represent Georgia and I've gone around and talked to people, I've realized that this state is much more diverse than it's thought, and I've decided to be a Democrat. And if she were to switch well, parties and run as a Democrat, that would be her only chance at winning, and that's because her chances are so poor in beating Collins as a Republican. What do you think there, about that, there's, a, there's another couple of uh, little things going on, too. It looks like Mitch McConnell is supporting Loeffler. Uh, his PAC, the Senate Leadership Fund, is saying very nice things about her and attacking Collins for running and endangering the seat is the way they put it. Not only endangering that seat, but also endangering uh, David Perdue's re-election chances. And the National Republican Senatorial Committee seems to also favor Loeffler. So she's going to have to probably stay and toe the line uh, unless she wants to switch parties and solely use her own money, which she would have to do uh, to run as a Democrat. And uh, do you think we'd welcome her with open arms? A lot of folks wouldn't, and I couldn't – I wouldn't blame them. But, um, Tim, uh -huh. one more thing, and, and I do think it's a real problem – is uh, Brian Kemp has expended a lot of political capital. How's he coming out in this? Well, he's not going to come out well against the president. That's just not going to happen. Nobody, no, nobody yet has in the Republican Party uh, uh, come out on top of him. He has taken over totally the Republican Party at Every level, including the state level, including the state of Georgia, the Georgia Republican Party would actually turn on Brian Kemp. He wouldn't stand oh. a chance. He wouldn't get anything done. Yeah, I think he's expended capital here, and it's not paying off so far. Well, I am so excited to welcome on our guest for the first time to the Kudzu Vine, the proprietor of the best political news aggregator on the internet, Political Wire, Mr. Tegan Goddard. Welcome, Tegan. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the kind words about Political Wire. Oh, well, well thank you for pretty much booking our show every week with topics, because um, Tim can <laughs> tell you uh, probably 80% of what I send is, is um, from your site. Uh, it is, I can't say enough about how good it is. Um, well, Tegan, let's kind of start off with just your bio. It's a little bit journalism as far as the site, and it's a little bit just incredible political analysis. How did you get to this point where you were able to um, you know, put this together? Um, thanks, thanks so much. Um, so the site, the site is actually, I mean, in, in terms of you know, internet, the Internet age, the site's probably one of the oldest sites on the web. I mean, it has been 
it's been 21 years or, or so um, that the site has been up. So uh, how did it come to be? I was actually working in politics. I had worked for a U.S. senator and for a governor, and um, I was about ready to uh, publish a book um, that I had written. And uh, it was best that I left the political world in order to, you know, help promote the book. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And, um, you know, this was the early ages of the Internet. Most newspapers actually didn't even have uh, their – have full websites. They, they you know, sometimes they had a few of their articles on, but it was a very early age. And what I really wanted was a feature that I used to read in the Wall Street Journal um, called Washington Wire. Um, it came out every Fridays. Um, it was on the right hand, on the front page, in the right hand column, and it was just these really interesting nuggets that would come out of the Washington, the Wall Street Journal's Washington bureau, that didn't really make their reporting, but I found it fascinating. And so I decided, you know, what I'd love to do is kind of create a website like that, um, but instead of focusing on Washington, focusing on all politics across the country and really across the world um, and and focus a a little bit more on, uh, you know, not just coming from the Wall Street Journal, but coming from not only the great, you know, news sources that we have, but also, you know, from the online world and from social media and from uh, from things like that. When I started the site, of course, there wasn't much social media, but, you know, blogs were just coming to be and, um, and newspapers started putting their, their pages online. And um, anyway, that's, that's, that's how it started. I really created it because it's something that I would have read myself. And I've been very fortunate over the years to have uh, many millions of readers who uh, equally find it interesting. Yes, well, I'm very glad you came with that idea and the um, Washington Wire existed so you could do this. Well, let me kind of ask you the other side of this. It sounds like you started it because you were seeing articles in the media uh, that you know you wanted to get out there politically. But now I'm going to speculate that I have a feeling that a lot of reporters, you know, the the Matthew Dowds and the um, Chuck Todds and Glenn Thrushes of the world, you know. Uh, Tim Alberta's these heavy hitters. Have you gotten word that a lot of these folks that report on politics go towards your site to kind of find out where to look for the next story? Well, I don't know if they're I don't I don't know if they're doing that or or, or to trying to educate themselves and finding out what is uh, you know what is new in the news, what they should be paying attention to. Um, but I, I'm very fortunate that not only do I have an awful lot of politicians and their staffs. Um, and other political operatives reading the site every day, but I have uh, hundreds of reporters who read and who often email me. You know, that, you know, people wonder how do I get how do I get stories up so quickly? You know, to you know before the audience, and a lot of times it's because the reporters who wrote them let me know that something just went up. Uh, so a lot of these reporters, uh, some some of whom you mentioned, actually email me regularly with their stories. Yes. Well, and then one a final question in this vein, and I'm going to get into some raw politics. Um, sure. This site reminds me uh, – it's politics. So it's even bigger, a bigger area. But I don't know if you're familiar with Pro Football Talk from Mike Florio, and uh, he sure. did the yeah. same thing kind of early on, and I think you actually do more original writing than he does. But it was a lot of you know, linking to other stories and then writing some content and picks. Now he's on you know, one of the top shows on NBC about football. And um, 
if people come to you and you just hadn't, you know, had the time or what have you, but if had folks on TV, on CNN, MSNBC, wherever else, come to you to be on their show to be this um, guru of political information? Yeah. Um, I have, I have, I, I have done a lot of TV. Um, I actually, when I decided to make Political Wire my full-time venture about a, a little over a decade ago. Um, prior to that, I was running. I, I actually had a day job. I was doing other things, but um, for the last uh, for the last ten plus years, I've been running it as my full time job. And at the beginning, I actually did try to do a lot of TV, and I found that it really actually didn't move the needle much in terms of uh, you know in terms of my audience, and it just wasn't necessarily worth the time. You would go into you know for for me i'd go, go into new york city i'd you know get ready for a hit the hit would last two minutes three minutes maybe four minutes and it, i'd end up taking you know two hours out of my day for a four minute segment on tv and you know it's fine i don't mind i don't mind doing it i think i think it i think it there certainly serves a purpose but i wasn't going to camp out down at a tv studio and you know spend my whole day there hoping to get on TV for 10 minutes. It just didn't really make the, make that much sense. I mean, and to be perfectly honest, my audience is larger than most of the cable news channels at this time, at, you know, at this point. So, it, you know, it's not, it's not really, it, it's not really worth my time. I mean, I think they're, I think they're fine, but um, I kind of like doing what I'm doing. And also it allows me to uh, be a little bit more flexible. What I do like about running political wires is that I can, people ask me, where do I work? And I say, I work on the internet. Uh, and you're able to work pretty much anywhere, um, which is pretty great. Yes, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And I go days at a time without consuming any cable news, and I read your site multiple times a day. So, um, you know, I guess I'm your target market. And, and you weren't kidding when you, you said this is your full-time job. I've seen over the past few years you'll go on vacation to exotic locations. You'll say, now, readers, be patient with me. I may not be posting as much. You're thinking, man, there's going to be no political wire content, and there'll be like five stories from you that day. Um, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, dedicated. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am the definition of a political junkie. I, I can't get enough of it. So. <laughs> Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to ask you one final real politics question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Tim Shiflett, who has more, and that would be about this early part of the primary. We have the Iowa caucuses, and seemingly no one's going to know what's going to happen. And of course, that'll impact the next uh, three early states. You've been posting different polls, and, and there's been com com conflicting reports and different uh, turnout models and what have you. What's your best read on how the early phase of this Democratic primary goes? <laughs> well, it's 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 fascinating, and honestly, anybody who thinks that they know uh, is just selling you a bill of goods. Nobody no, nobody knows. It's extremely close. As you head into Iowa, you've got four, possibly five people who could potentially come out of there and at least claim victory. Um, because of the way that the reports will be resulted, you may actually have multiple people be able to claim victory. Um, but then you move right into New Hampshire and then to Nevada and South Carolina. And you could you could see you could paint it one scenario. You could easily see that Bernie Sanders wins, you know, the first three states. Um, go in, in not until South Carolina does uh, Joe Biden manage to pick off a victory where he's at, where he's ahead. And uh, you could see the Democratic Party panicking at that point, or at least the establishment side of the party panicking and looking to an alternative. And 
lo and behold, in most races, there is no alternative, right? There's, there, you, know, you have the candidates that you have, and that's pretty much what it is. But in, but in this year's presidential race, we actually have a candidate who doesn't show up until Super Tuesday, and that's Michael Bloomberg. And, you know, he, he got into the race because he thought Joe Biden was not the strongest candidate. It was not going to be able to put away the left side of the party, the Elizabeth Warrens and the Bernie Sanders. And so he's there wait, waiting in the wings, except for the fact that he's not, he's not just waiting. He's actually spent over $200 million in television ads in all of these states. So while Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg, you know, fight it out in Ohio and in New Hampshire – and then, and, and then stretch to try to all of a sudden start running ads in Nevada and South Carolina, Michael Bloomberg is actually putting himself out there as an alternative. So in that scenario where Bernie Sanders ends up winning, um, you know, ends up winning the first few states and there's a panic that sets in, there is this window that opens for Michael Bloomberg. So I, I could see that that's a very plausible scenario. I could also see a scenario where Joe Biden wins in Iowa manages to come from behind in New Hampshire, becomes the comeback kid as Bill Clinton was in 1992, and then, you know, proceeds to, you know, win in South Carolina as well. And perhaps Bloomberg at that point, who has committed to spending his money defeating Donald Trump, no matter who the nominee is, I could see somebody, I could see Bloomberg saying, you know what, I'm I'm behind Biden. Biden looks strong enough now. Maybe we'll you know, maybe he'll stand down and, you know, go fully in on Joe Biden at that point. But I mean, that's an alternative that could happen. And then you could have some of the, some of the stranger things. Like I said, you can't tell with four, at least four and maybe five candidates that have the potential to win in Iowa. You you know, it's hard to, hard to predict what happens if Elizabeth Warren, who has been spending, you know, more than a year organizing her ground game in Iowa. What if she, and, and in the polls, she is almost every, you know, she is by far uh, the, the leading second choice contender among both Biden voters as well as Bernie Sanders voters. So let's say she pulls out a win uh, in Iowa and, and then that changes the, you know, changes the formulation as well. Maybe, maybe Bernie Sanders slides away or maybe you have a, a situation where Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren fight it out and, and, and split the progressive side of the party and then Joe Biden's able to win that way. But it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's one of the more fascinating races I think we've seen in our lifetimes. Most definitely. And I think we'll have a little bit clear, but not a clear picture after Monday when, you know, Iowa unfolds. Well, I know Tim's got a bunch more questions, all political. So I'm going to pass it to Tim <laughs> Shifflett. Uh, good evening, sir. Thank you for being with us. Um Let me start with a confession. There is one site right now that I'm checking just a wee bit more than (laughs) I am political wire. But for purposes of this interview, uh, it it happens to be a site that you also maintain. That's electoralvotemap.com, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that today. Um, At present, you list Arizona. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Florida as the only pure toss-ups along with the 2nd Congressional District of Nebraska. Now, I could not help but realize that Donald Trump won all of these in 2016. Are, Are you convinced 
that the president will have to at least begin this campaign on the defensive, shoring up those places before he goes on the offensive? It's a great question, and thanks. Thank you for mentioning and for reading. You know, elect, uh, mentioning my electoral vote map site. It's a, it's a site that I was very excited to launch in anticipation of this um, campaign season uh, because I thought it's going to be very interesting. We've had two mm-hmm. elections in the last five where the winner of the electoral vote was different than the winner of the popular vote, and so you know, mm-hmm. I think refocusing the people's attention on what it takes to actually win a presidential election is pretty important. Um, but your observation is a good one. So those are six states that Donald Trump won last time. And what I think it indicates is that I don't know if Donald Trump does anything on the defensive, but what he does do is what, what he will need to do this time is he will need to probably win this campaign in the same way that he won the last one. Um, it's unlikely that there are other states that he's going to be able to pick off that went blue last time. You know, for instance, his campaign has talked about winning in Minnesota. I, I find that mm-hmm. highly unlikely that he's going to end up winning in Minnesota. Democrats have two different paths where they can go. They can go the Rust Belt path, which is they, they can secure those states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania that Donald Trump was able to pick off from Hillary Clinton four years ago. Or the, the, the Democrats do actually have a plausible alternate strategy, which is the Sun Belt, which would be states like Arizona, North Carolina, and Florida. And if the Democrats are actually able to pick up those states, uh, they could actually concede one of the Midwestern states, one or two of the Midwestern states, and still be able to win the presidency. So I think that mm-hmm. the, in, in much of this will be refined as we know who the candidate is right now. That map is is deduced from a series of forecasts by some of the experts in this in this industry and in this field um, who have put their forecasts out there. And what I try to do is I try to blend those forecasts and create a consensus forecast for the electoral map. And that's mm-hmm. that's how I kind of came down to those six states. But it does. Mm-hmm. Your observation is a good one because a president who, an incumbent president, you think you would think that he would have more paths to the White House than that, and you think that over the course of the last four years, he would have made some inroads into some states that perhaps he lost last time. It does not seem to be the case for Donald Trump. Um, he, he does seem to be on the defensive uh, in those in a you know half dozen states that he did win last time, and he will need to actually win them all in order to win the presidency again. Mm-hmm. Now, of those six states, you said that the 2020 map begins with Florida. Why is the state of Florida the linchpin? Is it the state that Trump absolutely has to win to win the presidency in exactly the same way that he won it before? Yes, and I think I think if, you, if, if not only has, has Donald Trump moved his official residency to Florida, but he holds, mm-hmm. he holds more campaign uh, rallies in Florida than any other place. Um, he has done uh, his campaign has done magical things with micro targeting of voters in Florida as well as other parts of the country. But uh, he, he his campaign is acting as if they know that Florida is the key to their victory. If the Democrats win Florida, it is I could I could predict right now that the Democrats will win the presidency if they can somehow pick off Florida because it's hard to see the other states falling in line for Trump if the way he needs them, if the Democrats can pick off Florida. But 
that's a big if because if you look at Florida, I mean, ever since you know the 2000 election, Florida has been this very vexing state for Democrats. Um, it, it was a vexing state for Democrats just just in two years ago, 2018, in the midterm elections, where mm-hmm. many people thought Democrats had a chance to not only retain a Senate seat, which they lost, but also to possibly win the governorship, which they were not able to do. So um, if, Dem- if Democrats are counting on winning Florida, then they're being a little bit you know, cocky and overconfident. I think, I think both sides know that it's going to be a dogfight in Florida. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about another one of these states that, that really fascinates me because of, 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 the, of the change in it. When, when, when I was a kid back, back in the 60s, I could not have imagined – the state of Arizona, the home of Barry Goldwater, uh, being a place that we could be talking about as a battleground at any point in my lifetime. What has happened in that state to change it? Yeah, it's just pretty fascinating. And it is fascinating if you go on electoral vote map and you can look at some of the historical result, election results and you can see how mm-hmm. the electoral electoral map has changed over the years. It's pretty fascinating. And mm-hmm. I do intend to actually build that out even further and to go back even even further than I than I already have. But um, what has happened in Arizona? I mean, one is the major demographic changes that we're seeing in our country um, that are causing a lot of our current political instability as well. Um, in, in our political you know, controversies as well, in the focus on immigration, there has been a, a, a large number of Latino voters, you know, who will now live in Arizona, whether they, you know, whether they moved there or, or whether they immigrated uh, there from, you know, primarily Mexico. That's to have been one major change. But you've also seen in, the, in this Trump era, um, and this, this I think is even bigger than, than some of the demographic changes, as you've seen. Um, the suburban areas of Arizona, um, the, some of the more highly educated areas of Arizona, which are voting Democratic now. And mm-hmm. uh, that's probably the bigger change. You know, it used to be 20 years ago that if you if you chose one factor, you know, one 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 factor about a voter to determine whether they were Republican or Democrat, it was whether or not they went to church every week. And if they went to church uh-huh. every week, you could pretty much guess with a fair amount of accuracy that that person was a Republican. Now, you know, it's not perfect, but that was the one thing. The key factor now is if they went to college. And if they graduated mm-hmm. from a four-year college, you can pretty much guess that they're probably a Democrat, or at least they vote Democrat um, at this point. And that's a major change. And so a lot of these suburban areas, and, and obviously the urban areas have always been Democratic stronghold, but the suburban areas that used to reliably vote Republican are now moving towards the Democrats. And that's a, that, you know, we saw that in huge numbers in 2018. And that's why the Democrats were able to win control of the House of Representatives. So that is probably the most, the most interesting thing, I think, about not only Arizona, but it's also what's made a state like North Carolina, you know, a, a purple state and, you know, have the potential to turn Democratic um, as well as Virginia, which is another one that used to be a solid Republican state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to switch gears and ask one more question, then I'm going to uh, send it back to David to finish the segment up. And it's about uh, the news of the day, of course, which is the impeachment. 
And, of course, I'm going to ask you one of these best guess questions that we all <laughs> know and love, right? But uh, the question is this. Will the impeachment be a major issue in the presidential general campaign, or, or, or will it fade to the background behind things like the economy and foreign affairs and such? Uh, it's a great question, and yeah, it's gonna obviously it's impossible to fully predict. But I I I think it is. I I, I think that the president will talk about impeachment a lot. And I think he will talk about impeachment in a broader context. He'll bring it up in the context of the Mueller investigation and the two and a, two plus years that he went through um, investigating the 2016 campaign. And he'll bring it up saying that impeachment is really just like the Mueller investigation. And it was an, an attempt or an illegal attempt, as he likes to say, to overturn the results of the previous election. That, so I do think that President Trump will have an advantage of bringing up impeachment throughout the campaign. Democrats, if they've learned anything, um, should probably focus on issues because on the issues, most of the key issues that are facing the country, the Democratic position is the more popular one. And, and President Trump, mm-hmm. quite frankly, is not a highly, you know, his, his disapproval rate, the majority of the country disapproves of him being president, being president. Which is pretty extraordinary, and it's a pretty extraordinary for him to to run for reelection. You know, it's it's different when people have an unfavorable view of you. In 2016, mm-hmm. the majority of people had an unfavorable view of Donald Trump, and he still won. Well, that's because they had an unfavorable view of Hillary Clinton as well. When mm-hmm. you're president, though, when you're president, your approval rate and your or your disapproval rate is actually more important because that's not just some theoretical thing. That's about the majority of the country right now, somewhere the averages, I think, show 54, 55 percent disapprove of the job that Trump is doing as president. Well, that's not theoretical. They don't like him as president. They think he's doing a bad job. And and that's a really tough place to be in. So if you're the Democrats, you can obviously focus on some of on Trump and some of his behavior. And you can talk about his corruption. You can talk about his possibly Ill, illegal behavior. But. If that's the focus of your campaign, you're, most Americans already know that, and that's measured by the disapproval rate. So what I would do if I were the Democrats is I would focus on some of the issues, particularly like health care, where, uh, where, de- where the Democrats' approval rates on health care and, and they're seen as being much more, um, much more able to fix some of the Americans' health care problems. I would focus on that. That seemed to be the winning formula in the 2018 midterms. And I suspect it will be, again, if, Demo- if Democrats win, I suspect they will look back as because they pounded, uh, pounded the voters on health care. One, one last thing I want to say about that is, you know, I mentioned earlier that Michael Bloomberg has spent hundreds of millions of dollars in ads already. Most mm-hmm. of those ads, the vast majority of those ads are on health care. Michael Bloomberg wow. has spent a lot of time. His, his, he's used a lot of analytics to understand what are the most important issues for Democratic voters to get them to the polls, and it's health care. And so Michael Bloomberg's mm-hmm. putting all that money into health care ads, and I suspect he's not wrong either. All right. I thank you for that excellent analysis, and with that, I will send it back to David. David? Yes. Well, Tegan, before you go, um, we just wanted to give you a chance to – I'm sure your listeners will know where to find your site, but you have a membership program 
where you get even more content. So if you want to take the time to tell our listeners what they'll get for their money, uh, we'd be glad to have you do that. Well, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So Political Wire for over 20 years has been a completely free site. You can you can come and you can find out find out what what you need. You know, the way that I phrase it is what you need to know in politics right now, and it's really just it, it is a it is a wire. It is a stream of the most important political news happening right now. But what I decided to do a number of years ago was to add a membership feature, um, which would give people who wanted to directly support the site, and it costs a year, $5 a month, or if you get a discount if you buy an annual membership for $50 a year. And what I try to give them is I, I give them three main things. Uh, one, I give them uh, some exclusive analysis, uh, mainly written by me, sometimes by others. Um, they get uh, a site that is that has no advertising on it at all, which makes it even cleaner and very fast loading. Um, and then the way I also have some of these content partnerships with some other um, providers of, of, of excellent, you know, political newsletters, um, and you get those all for all for fifty dollars a year. So it's a pretty good deal. And what it allows me to do is it allows me to run a much more sustainable site, and I don't have to focus on the intricacies of the ad market. I don't have to play tricks like a lot of these websites do. And you go on these websites, and they're overloaded with ads, and they're you know they cause that your browser to crash, and you know. Yeah, it's just a, it's just it's just a cleaner a cleaner thing. So, I would uh, I, I would be uh, more than happy to uh, to offer your listeners as well if they're interested in a discount. I could give them a ten percent discount if they simply use the um, use the uh, coupon code Congress. So, if they want to put in the coupon code Congress, I'll give them a ten percent discount. Oh yeah, that sounds great. And I will tell you, I've been a member for quite a while now, and, and I think it's uh, easily worth five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year. I'm really not sure which way I pay, but either way, I'm I'm happy fifty or sixty because um, all the content you talked about it and David Jonas's book that he's writing with you um, that goes on there, and so it's just all just wonderful um, information if you like politics like us. <laughs> Well, you're very kind, and thank you, thank you as well for your support. I really appreciate it. Sure thank thing, you, and thank sir. you again so much for coming on this evening, or this afternoon. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, and uh, you know, th- thanks so much. I've listened to a bunch of your episodes, and I think you guys do a great job as well. So, um, anyway, thanks so much, and uh, I'll see you around Political Wire. Thanks again. Already. <clears throat> All right. Okay, T- Tegan Goddard, Political Wire. You know, you mentioned, heard us mention. His site three times on the show. We're going to continue to do so. Just so great to uh, to put a a voice with text, I guess you'd say. Um, although he does have his face on the site, so we have a we have a, a voice with a face as well. Um, but just very informative um, and did not disappoint. Tim, yeah, you know, David, I was going to say he he mentioned something uh, that 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 I've heard a good bit from a lot of pundits, and that is. The Democratic strategy during the presidential uh, election year should be to focus like a laser beam on the major bread and butter pocketbook issues of the day and just let Donald Trump go off and talk about how unfair the world is to him and the impeachment and this and that and the other 
And at the end of the day, if the Democrats win, that's the way they're going to win. I agree with that, don't you? Yeah, so, and I think he's right about health care in 2018. When Donald Trump's right. approval ratings went down the worst was when they made the most vigorous attempt to repeal mm-hmm. uh, the Affordable Health Care Act. And, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they could and, take another run at that. Um, and so that's uh-huh. a real issue. And well, it, it cuts across because there's a lot of folks that they may get in these lines and they wear all the, you know, Make America Great Again and flag shirts and everything else, but they still have trouble paying their health care bills. And so right. it cuts across uh, party lines. Right. And in 2018, yeah. that was probably the, along with we just don't like Donald Trump. As far as the issues, health care was just by far the dominant issue, wasn't it, because of Trump and McConnell and those guys basically trying to gut the Affordable Care Act and people saying, wait a minute, what are we going to do for health care? And these were Trump voters, a lot of them, that were saying that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think yeah, we're on to something with health care, and I think you're right. And it hadn't gotten any better. And then you look at the Kentucky election. Right. Um, what did right. what was Andy Bashir's uh, family legacy known for? His father Steve and and um, Kentucky healthcare, which was probably one of the best in the nation, particularly for a state with the demographic profile of Kentucky. Right. Um, yeah. So you know we'll see how it all falls out. And and of course and, and don't get onto too many things. I think a lot of times a lot of the Democratic field may be on to the right. Idea on health care, but they get distracted and they talk about 10 other things. And people are probably like, Well, you can't fix all those things, you know, that's too much. Yeah. You can't multitask, but to we that can extent. start, but we can start by taking what we have and and improving it. That That's the starting point. You can't have it all at once because, let's face it, the Congress that we have right now, uh, as it is constructed. There is no way they're going to go all the way. I'd love for them to, but it's not going to happen with that. But we do have the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act for now as the law of the land. I believe we can start there, and it's and it's pretty popular with people that have it. Start there and improve it a little at a time. Small steps, right? It's probably the only realistic thing to do. Honestly, you right. know, no matter who gets elected, odds are they're going to have a um, Republican Senate. And so very little yeah. is going to get done. You're going to have to know how to paint along the margins. It's going to be the Clinton administration right. from 1994 to 98. You're going to have to right. um, either accomplish your goals with some Republican tactics or, or solutions or – Accomplish some things Republicans care about with Democratic solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be some of that, um, and you know, yep. finding those compromise things, and really just don't drive the car into the ditch. You know, so then right. maybe in twenty twenty two, the states that are up for Senate may be a little better profile, and slowly by slowly, you. Pick up enough Senate seats that down the road a Democratic president has a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. Um, right. And you're going to have to change people's minds on well, things. I mean, you're going to have I, to have a, a larger percentage of people believe certain things about certain issues for you to get a majority. I can go back to 1965. The reason Lyndon Johnson got all that stuff passed 
was because he had a Congress that had like 71 Democrats in the U.S. Senate and a, a massive majority in the House. And he had just been reelected in a landslide, and he had a mandate to do all of that. That's why Medicare finally got passed and, and all that civil rights stuff. Um, you, you've got you've to have the Congress with you to do it, or it just doesn't get done. So, Yes. Well, let's get back to the, the, our lead topic, and I think we've covered the, the Collins side of that, and, and of course it'll be ongoing mm-hmm. with um, how Brian Kemp fares. But um, Ebenezer Baptist Church pastor Ralph Warnock, um, and for those of you that don't know, the King family's legacy comes through Ebenezer Baptist Church. Martin Luther King Sr. was a minister there. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., was he actually ever the lead minister at Ebenezer Baptist, or did he just grow up? No, uh, no, he was not. His father was during that time. Yes, his father was, and he grew up in the church. So this church is probably, you know, maybe the most famous, you know, church in in certainly all of, you know, metro Atlanta. There may be some that have bigger attendance, um, but as far as the historical imprint – you know, it, it's one that's well known. Folks that don't attend it know where it's at, know about it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the Martin Luther right. King Day service that is pretty much a nationally recognized service emanates from there. And Ralph Warnock uh, proceeded over that service this year, and Kelly Loeffler was there. And at mm-hmm. that service, he kind of alluded to the fact that he was going to run. Well, just uh, overnight, I guess, um, he, he did uh, announce that he is going to run for the Senate seat. That Senate seat, uh, without pulling up, uh, you know, politics1.com, speaking of another site that has listings of candidates, uh, I want to say just him and Matt Lieberman are the only, you know, named Democrats in that jungle primary is at this Ed, point. Is, is that Ed correct? Is Ed Tarver not in the race yet? I think you're right. Ed Tarver uh, may have been there too. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting confusing because you have no. two sides. Just Okay, I'm going to read them all. I'm going to be fair to everybody. Tamara Johnson mm-hmm. Sheely, uh, Matt Lieberman, Ed Tarver, Ralph Warnock, and Richard Winfield. Um, so, uh-huh. you know, you actually have five candidates on the Democratic side and three on the Republican side because Wayne Johnson is also running as a Republican. So, mm-hmm. and what I do you and think. I, um, Go ahead. I wanted to apologize for not thinking of Tamara. She's actually a Facebook friend of mine, and I happened to know that she had announced that she was running for the seat. So uh, my bad there, David. You, when you get older, you forget things. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, and sometimes you just have to you know, look things up, and that's why that yeah. um, <laughs> listing of candidates is valuable. Well, let's kind of talk about it then. Um, where do you think he um, – uh, stands in that primary field as this race begins. Well, Reverend Warnock apparently is going to get some big name help. It looks like Stacey Abrams is probably going to endorse him. A lot of the uh, uh, name folks in the Democratic Party in Georgia are going to support him. Now, I do not know yet what happens outside the confines of the state and what endorsements may be coming there. I have noticed that Ed Tarver uh, seems to be the favorite with um, 
some of the more moderate and conservative uh, uh, elements of the uh, Democratic Party of Georgia, especially in um, rural areas, areas away from Atlanta. Uh, It would be hard right now to not list Reverend Warnock uh, on name recognition alone as as the favorite uh, starting this thing. Wouldn't you agree there? Yeah, I would think, um, you know, Ed Tarver is going to have some support around the Capitol because he um, served in the state Senate for a while. But I don't know that he's going to be that well known outside of those circles and then Augusta where he's from. Um, and uh-huh. Matt Lieberman, uh, some clever, you know, internet ads. But then, how, how does he, you know, bring that to the next level? Of course, and I think there's a lot of progressives that are just not big fans of Joe Lieberman. And so, even though he's probably right. clearly to the left of his father, he's going to have to, um, you know. Answer for that, if you will, fairly or unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think mm-hmm. at this point, Ralph Warnock does start off as the leader. Interesting thing is, I was kind of looking around. He's already launched a website. Pretty much is just a video and a, and a contribution tab. But when you look who's designed it, the same firm that worked for John Ossoff in the other side is doing his website now. Of course, there's going to be other mm. consultants that are involved, and usually the website person is not the major uh, decider of things. But I do find it interesting Mm -hmm. that there's kind of a a synergy on each side of that ballot. And sure enough, uh, in this race, it was designed by Apollo as well. well. So um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's somebody going to end up working uh, both sides of this thing. Yeah, and and when – being this is a political show, we, we, we have to bring this up, and that, uh, that, that's his vocation. How does him being a, a minister, especially at such a high-profile church, how, how does that play into this uh, political race, do you think? Well, for starters, he's going to be a good public speaker. Most preachers yes. study yeah. preaching from the pulpit uh-huh. and get practice at it, so that's mm-hmm. going to help him. He's also going to know how to deal with people as a pastor on a one-on-one mm-hmm. kind of basis. The consoler mm-hmm. in chief. Now that's when you're working as a executive, but still he's going to come with that. So those are going to be some nice qualities. Now I will tell you this: of course, people on the Democratic side of the aisle see very conservative church leaders, and, and we've talked about some in the past that get involved in politics and say things, you know, maybe speaking for the Bible or speaking for God or speaking for Jesus, and we don't agree with what they say. And, um, you know, we're like, well, who gave you that authority? Now, he's going to be on the other side of the aisle. How does he structure his campaign? Does he say, me as a citizen, this is what I believe, or is he going to then do like a Jerry Falwell Jr. or a Franklin Graham and and kind of go the next level, if you will. And what's the pushback on that going to be? That could be kind of tricky um, depending on how he handles that. And I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch, how he mm-hmm. um, looks at his faith and uses that. Does he do it maybe kind of like you know, Pete Buttigieg? He you know, brought some of that in. Or Jimmy Carter, he brought some of that in. But it was a more of a um, 
uh, not I'm speaking for God. This is just what I believe, and I am a Christian. How do you think he might balance mm-hmm. that divide? Well, you know, it it it, it is uh, quite the tightrope to walk. John Kennedy had to do that way back in 1960. He had to address the issue of his Catholicism, and he finally chose as his venue to do that uh, a, a gathering of, uh, you know, Protestants in Texas, of all places, to to address that situation. It's something that he'll have to do. And and if I could give the Reverend one one small piece of advice, you know, address it head on because you are who you are, and it's better that you be who you are. Uh, voters appreciate it when you're. Right up front about who you are, they're comfortable with that. They know where they stand with you, and they know where you stand with them. Uh, so, you know, you know, it's not something that anyone should run away from because it's an integral part of who the man is. Plus, I understand, David, that during this campaign, he's not going to step away from his central duties as pastor of that church, so he's going to have to balance running a political campaign full-time with being a full-time pastor of, you know, one of the highest-profile churches in, uh, in in the country. So it, it's going to be interesting to, to watch him do it. it. It really is. Yes, I guess the, the thing is, is he will preach from his church on Sunday morning, which other than going to other churches – um, there's not going to be as much political activity that goes on there. Right. He's just going to have to write his sermons, um, unless he's got a good sermon series that he hasn't used in that church, possibly. Uh, so he'll have to figure that out. Otherwise, he may end up relying more on some associate pastors as far as taking care of some of the pastoral duties. Um, and luckily enough, if he does, let's say, 50% of his campaigning in metro Atlanta, he'll be around his mm-hmm. church. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not um, – I don't think anybody should ever forget other parts of Georgia, but what percentage of the population of Georgia lives in metro Atlanta? I think it's over 50. Um, mm-hmm. And so – Oh, in metro you know, that, Atlanta, it's about 70 percent. It's about 70 percent yes. now, but you got to understand yeah. the metro area extends out like the Cartersville and <laughs> – and and like the Barrett oh, yeah. County where my son lives, and it's it's a, it's a very large area now, but it's 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 over two thirds of the state's population would yeah. would be. But in you the can metro still do a, some kind of area. breakfast event on Wednesday, and then and then do some lunch event, and then still make it back for if he wanted to be making oh, a prayer oh, meeting. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and honestly, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of pieces. You know, there's probably a lot of pieces. There may be a mission meeting on ten o'clock in the morning on Thursdays. That he has to be at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know exactly the life of that church and how they structure it, but uh, but that mm-hmm. will help. And I will say this: you know, he probably could then spend say sixty percent of his time in Metro Atlanta. You're going to have to spend like if you commensurate with the population, you say seventy five percent or thirty percent of the time outside of uh, Metro Atlanta, the rest of Georgia. But because of travel times, getting to the Savannas and Valdostas and Albany's and Bainbridge's. You're going to have to then add mm-hmm. a little more time just for travel uh, to to go to certain places. Yeah, and I you will do. tell you, and you, 
I, I was going to say, go you ahead. do have to go to those places. You've got to at least show the flag in those places. You've at least yeah. got to show those outlying areas that, yes, here I am. Yes, I am interested in you. No, the race is not just about Atlanta. It's about Georgia. So, you know, hmm. that's a symbolic thing when he shows up, say, in Dalton to do a a breakfast gathering of, of supporters. It, 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 it You know, it's on the Chattanooga News. It means a lot when he's down on the coast to those folks in Savannah and, and, and even areas south that would tend to be more conservative. It means a lot when you're way down in Albany in the corner of the state. Uh, so, yeah, he's he he's got a balancing act to do. It's, 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 yeah. uh, he, I, I think he's up to it. Well, and if you look at uh, 2018 as the blueprint, as good as uh-huh. it may have been in progress, you still didn't win. And so you've got to figure out how to win. So you got to say, how do we do everything we did in 2018 except do more? And I think if you look, there were a lot of counties in South Georgia that have you know pretty high African-American population in which we did not perform as well as we could have. It, you know, Gwinnett mm-hmm. County, Clayton County, DeKalb County, uh, you know, Cobb, Fulton, you know, we did really, really well. I mean, you probably – there's always something left on the table, but by and large, it was as mm-hmm. good as it could be. He can ignore Towns County up on the, you know, Tennessee border if he wants to, or the I mean, North Carolina mm-hmm. border, or, or Fannin County. He could ignore counties like that, but he can't ignore Do- Doherty County, where Albany is. He can't ignore Chatham County or Lowndes County, where Valdosti is, Ware County, where mm-hmm. Waycross is. He's got to go to some of those places that aren't as big as Atlanta but do have a lot of Democratic voters that probably are even harder to turn out uh, maybe you know, on a whole, if you look at everybody, than voters, say, in DeKalb County, um, mm-hmm. you know, even though there's more there. And so you've got to continue to do better there. Because um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do agree. At the end of the day, a lot of the folks in Banks County and um, Rabin County, there we're not going to probably persuade a lot of them. But there are those mm-hmm. places where there are Democratic voters that are still rural, uh, not in a major city that we cannot forget, and that's going to be the trick. Mm-hmm. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, Tim, I guess uh, we didn't leave Catherine on purpose. She's working hard. Uh, we just went a little early, uh, both for the Super Bowl and for uh, Mr. Goddard's schedule. And thanks again to Tegan Goddard for coming on our show. And until about, I guess, about 10 days from now, it's been the Kazoo Vine. Good Bye. evening, folks. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.